Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to the Orange is the New Black Podcast. It's your host, Ace Boogie, with my co-host, Zim Hude. Episode 7, officially a part of the Scentsy Jungle. If you haven't subscribed yet, be sure to head to any podcast platform and be sure to type in Scentsy Jungle and subscribe. That way you will automatically get this information. You will automatically hear from us. You will hear from other members of the Cincy Jungle Syndicate. They just added Daddy O McDuck. Obviously, they also have the Orange and Black Insider. You'll see us under Orange is the New Black in the title. Zim, it's Steelers Week or Squillers Week, as I might say. How you feeling? I'm feeling great, man. Like, um, I'm excited about the game, I guess, and I didn't think I'd be excited. I'm excited for brand new opportunities. I'm really, really happy that um, we're now a part of Cincy Jungle officially, like Ace was just saying. Please make sure you subscribe to that. Please make sure you still subscribe to New Stripe City on YouTube. And if you're looking for me, I'm Zim underscore Hooday on Instagram. But we got Squillers Pittsburgh week coming up Monday night. How you feeling? I'm feeling, I, I don't know, man. Honestly, usually I get excited every year, but I think it's just been dampened a little bit by 0-3. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie here. Um, but, but but think about this, though. When you get closer to the game, though, you're going to feel that energy. Right. I'll get you hyped. Don't worry. Right. I'll get you hyped. <laughs> right. I, I, think, um, I think one thing that excites me is when I looked at the schedule and it came out, I looked at this game as, one of the defining moments of transitioning from the Lewis era to see if we're actually out of that. And this was a big one for me because of two things. Number one, the primetime struggles. So it's a primetime game. And not only that, it's against the Steelers, a team that we haven't beat since 2015. So if I'm using my measuring stick, this was one of the games that I said, hey, when I look at this game, this is going to define whether it's a new day or not. So I would be excited um, to see the results of this game, and hopefully it's going to be different than it has been the past, what, four years now? Four years, yep. Four years. So Last, last, what, last, time, they, last time they beat them, I was there. I, that's the game we were talking about on the last podcast where that, that's the Le'Veon Bell um, gets his knee hit by Burfitt, or gets Burfitt gets his knee caught under um, um, uh, Le'Veon Bell on that sideline, and the Bengals, I think, went by one or two points. Right. Right, right. So, with that being said, we're going to have a guest on, a special guest on uh, later on today, Tony Serino of the Locked On 
Steelers podcast will be joining me. I actually did a uh, AFC North roundtable with him in the offseason, so we'll get into that. But let's break down this game. Um, Zim, going off of the Steelers, this is a totally different Steelers team. Obviously, they're struggling on offense. Um, some would say that they're struggling on defense. What are your thoughts about the Steelers when you look at them coming into this matchup? Uh, coming into this matchup, I'm very interested to hear your conversation with the locked on uh, Steelers guy, but it's very, very evident, and I've told people this over the years, that Antonio Brown and, and in a good portion too, Le'Veon Bell, you could kind of – you could kind of confiscate for Le'Veon Bell in the sense of you could have a solid run game with an offensive line that I still view as the top three, if not the top one or two behind, like, maybe the Cowboys. I don't know the Patriots are playing really, really well this week. And then I think San Fran's up there as well as far as the offensive line. But um, you could kind of you could kind of fit pieces in uh, at the running back position. But what you couldn't do is fit in – someone at that caliber, that level of a wide receiver, dynamic, route-running guy like Antonio Brown. And I can talk this way about him because he's a free agent now, so don't kill me, guys. But I'm just letting you know, he changes the whole entire game. And I think what you're seeing in the early games coming on, a Steelers fan doesn't recognize it, but everything that the Bengals had to do in all of those games is always shade to the side of Antonio Brown give extra uh, extra man on that side of an extra linebacker on that side. Like, you have to change your whole entire game plan, don't care who you are, to to to, to make sure that you're, you know what I'm saying, you're, like you're, you're, you're anticipating, like, what he can do and take it to the house at any moment. When Juju is now put at a, one, a number one wide receiver position, yeah, he still gets open, but the dynamic playmaking ability isn't there. Um, when you take away the fact that Ben Roethlisberger is now hurt for the season and Mason Rudolph is there, you're now really, really looking for a superstar level talent like Antonio Brown to make it uh, to take it to the house. Juju did that last week. Mason Rudolph only had two passes that were <clears throat> past the line of scrimmage. All of his other uh, uh, passes were screens. So they're really relying on Deontay Johnson and Juju Smith-Schuster to actually just take them to the house. And so Bengals have to be disciplined. They are going to test the sideline, sideline to sideline, just like every other team. And it's not going to be a good matchup once again for the Bengals in that aspect because Deontay Johnson in space is something that the linebackers um, from the Bengals cannot, they cannot make up for. And I, I don't know what their plan is. If it weren't Monday night, I'd probably be banging the table for Jermaine Pratt. But because it's Jermaine Pratt and it's a rookie, and last week he did have a good amount of snaps, you would like to see a lot more athleticism at the defensive position or whatever, at the, at that linebacker position. But I just don't think it's, he's quite ready. But I do see a snap increase. But they're going to test the sidelines like they've been doing. But the playmaking ability and the mental aspect of we're going to this guy and you guys can't stop it is now taken away. Also, the tightness throughout the week of Marvin Lewis pretty much telling this guy, you guys can't even interview all week. We we don't even want you talking about the Steelers in the locker room. All that tightness is now gone. You got Joe Money Mixon has already said that bullshit that happened last ha- uh, last um, uh, the first half of the last game is never going to happen again. Boyd is feeling good. Like, you got these guys with attitude 
and a positivity that is is exuding right now, and they're not going to remember the past. I can I can assure you that if the Steelers are going to win this game, it's going to be based on the Steelers have to win the game. It's not going to be based on the mental makeup and all this other crap that's been going on for all these years. The Steelers have to win this game, and with the better quarterback being on the Bengals side, I really feel good about that because I've been telling people all this week, football's not that complicated. The better quarterback usually wins 90% of the time. You saw that in the Steelers in the 49ers game. The 49ers game, they had five turnovers, and they still won the game. Why? Because Mason Rudolph is not the better quarterback. He doesn't have what it, uh, what it takes at this point in his career to test the field downfield. And that works big, big time in the in the Bengals' favor. You're going to see a lot more men up in the box, and it's going to be a different a different feel, I think, to the past Bengals Steelers game. I actually think the game might be a little boring, <laughs> but at the end of the day, I think there's so many things that work in the Bengals' favor. How about you? Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think there are several things that work in the Bengals' favor. Uh, obviously, the last five years we've had to deal with. Ben Roethlisberger, Le'Veon Bell, and A.B., as you stated. Uh, Juju, you know, you could argue that Juju is has entered that mix a little bit last year. But this game sets up well for the Bengals because they no longer have to deal with Antonio Brown, as you said. And, you know, James Conner, to me, I, I, I'm a big fan of James Conner in terms of what he did fighting through cancer. And I kind of um, – became informative about him just through Tyler Boyd because they're good friends. But James Conner, to me, no no uh, shade or anything, he's not Le'Veon Bell. He's never been Le'Veon Bell to me. Uh, Le'Veon Bell, to me, was just a guy that would really give us issues as well because not only could he uh, line up at the running back position, but they also would split him out, and he would always create other mismatches for us as well. So from a defensive standpoint, Things are a lot easier for us to defend them. Um, Mason Rudolph is not Big Ben. He's not going to be a guy that's escaping uh, sacks in the backfield, throwing defensive linemen off of him. That's not going to happen. I think that that's an advantage for us. The only thing that really worries me about this game is from uh, the defensive standpoint. I think that the Steelers' defense is better than their current ranking suggests. Just watching the 49ers game, it seemed like their defensive line was able to get more pressure against that San Francisco offensive line where we couldn't even sneeze on Jimmy G. Um, that's one thing that worries me. The other thing that worries me is, as you talked about earlier, they were able to produce five turnovers. Um uh, Turnovers have kind of plagued the Bengals these past couple of weeks. Um, so that's one of the issues that I kind of see there. Uh, outside of that, I do feel fairly confident that the Bengals will show up and that the Bengals can win this game. Uh, but if this this is a game really right here where, you know, the fan base is still kind of up in arms about the 0-3 start and, you know, a loss to the Steelers would just really be a huge blow, I think, to the fan base. Um, season's but, over. Season's yeah, over. season's you, over. You go on four, I mean, this is for both ways. You go on four, season, season's over. Right, exactly. So that, that in a sense, worries me. I also think the offensive line. Now, one thing, I, I give the, the Steelers their respect and things of that nature, um, but their offensive line, I said this earlier, and when I did a, a preview on the Steelers, 
the loss of Mike Munchak as an offensive line coach mm-hmm. would would cause some kind of regression there. Now, obviously, they're still a top unit. I'm not saying that they're not top five, top ten, but I, I've heard some whispers that they haven't been as stout or as productive as they have been based off of last year. Um, so can the Bengals' defensive line uh, make some adjustments to try to make an impact there? That I'm not sure of. It's kind of cloudy there because with Sam Hubbard being in a walking boot, with Carl Lawson coming off of a hamstring injury, what can we really do from that perspective? And that kind of worries me as well. From the receiver perspective, I don't think Juju really worries me too much. I think that William Jackson. Is better. <laughs> I, I think I, I think that I think that our corners can play good against them, and I think that mm-hmm. we need to see more Darius Phillips this week. I think it. I, you know, if you try to put a guy like Deontay Johnson on Dre, I think that we need to start seeing them rotate at the corner position and trying to throw Darius Phillips in there to mm-hmm. give to give better matchups against those fast and quick twitch guys. Because I think what they're gonna do. My my personal opinion, I think they're going to come in and I think that they're going to try to run the ball a lot and try to do what San Francisco did with us um, to us in week three. But, I mean, they're not as good as San Francisco, but I think that that's what their offensive game plan would be. Yeah. There's so many takeaways from this game. There's so many matchups to look at. As we're looking at matchups and you bring up Juju versus maybe like a William Jackson, I I don't have them shadowing him, but I will say this. There's one matchup that I'm going to be looking at the whole entire game, and it's a guy named Devin Bush. I have to see what is his impact on this game as it relates to just what is this guy going to do? Because you want to talk about the fan base turning on you. If you lose this game and go 0-4 and Devin Bush has like 10, 12 tackles and and, and is an all-out beast, like I've been seeing in these games, like he has been a liability with tight ends in the scene, and he's gotten beat twice. Uh, I think it was the Seahawks game. Disley like kind of made him look bad in coverage, but tackling and and sideline to sideline, our Achilles heel, he's absolutely been a freak, and I will give him his props on that. If you go zero and four, and this guy goes crazy, the next Paul Brown game stadium, all you will hear is fire Duke Tobin. Fire everybody because it, it will be a nightmare if this guy goes off because that is the guy, if you guys are not hip to this, that is the guy that a lot of Bengals fans, probably 90% of the Bengals fans wanted to draft. The Steelers trade up. The Bengals know that they're trading up. Go get that guy. And now this guy is leading the, the Steelers in tackles. What is your matchup to look at this uh, this upcoming week on Monday Night Football is? Oh, that's a that's a great one there. I think me personally, I think the matchup to look at is going to be that's a good one. I'm I'm gonna go with uh Joe Mixon against this Steelers defensive line. Uh can he make any plays in the run game? Can he be the engine that we need to get this offense started. And I think that we kind of got away from that last week, and I think that you saw the offense start to bounce back once Joe Mixon was involved. But I think the Steelers have been, honestly, pretty stout against the run. So that is my matchup of the game that I'm going to be looking at, and that could also involve – actually, let's flip that to front seven. That could involve Devin Bush as well. So that's what I'll be looking at going into this game. But with that said, uh, we're gearing up to get ready for our guest, Tony Serino, to come on. 
Uh, before we get out of here, I know you don't like making predictions, Zim, but I know some of our fans like to hear what we think, uh, the final score or how we see this game going. Uh, do you want me to give me mine first or do you want to give yours? I'm going to go first on this one, and I'm going to let you close it out. Unfortunately, after all of the great things that I just said that go in the Bengals' favor, history's past haunts them. And I just think that it's a close game, once again. But bad teams have a way to find a way to lose. So at the end of the game, we'll be looking at, oh, the refs did this, or the defense did this, you know, let us down at this point. But the one thing I'm going to be looking at is the guy that's been there for nine years. His name is Andy Dalton. If he doesn't ball out all four quarters, it's a nail. And he'll lose to Mason Rudolph, who the, who the Bengals, all, uh, they also wanted as well. So take that into perspective. I'm thinking 17-13 Steelers, unfortunately. 17-13 Steelers. Uh, I... I'm looking at this game, man, and uh, it's really a perfect setup game uh, for the Steelers to try to use this as something to turn their season around. Exactly. But I'm it, gonna it really go. Is. I'm gonna go on a limb and say that the Bengals' offense will be too much for the Steelers' offense to catch up in a young Mason Rudolph, and I yeah. think, and I think that the Bengals are going to take a step here and get their first win of the season, 20 to 17. 2017, Bengals, you hear it? You hear it, people? <laughs> They're yelling from Paul Brown Stadium. We're going to win this game. We're going to call it out like that. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. It's over. Bengals win, baby. 20 to 17. What you say? 2017. Let's go. Let's go. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to the Orange is the New Black podcast. I'm your host, Ace Boogie, my co-host, Zim Hude. Uh, we have a special guest on for today, and we are obviously going against the Steelers this week. It's Steelers week, and I had to bring on a guest that I am completely impressed with. I like what he does. Even though I hate the Steelers, I respect <laughs> this man's opinion. <laughs> yeah, I, I am the co-host of the Locked On Steelers podcast. Me and my uh, my co-host, Christopher Carter, do that podcast daily. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you. We had a lot of fun on that. The Ravens podcast we were on, what was it, like uh, almost a month ago now. Um, right. So I'm excited to talk to you about this this matchup on Monday night. 
Right. So let's get into it. So we kind of talked before, and I know when we were on that roundtable, I felt like the Steelers weren't going to do as well this year. And they're in they're in unfamiliar territory. I never expected them to be 0-3. I had them finishing the year at 7-9. and But mm-hmm. why are the Steelers 0-3? This is, this is kind of puzzling to me. Yeah, I, I may have been a little uh, aggressive on that podcast with how much I thought the Steelers were going to turn it around this year. Instead, it has gone the other way. The obvious thing about this team, though, is that they lost Ben Roethlisberger, and, and that has been, uh, you know, that has been the biggest thing that that stopped the team winning. Because you look at what they're doing offensively now, and it is terrible. Now, not that it was great when Ben Roethlisberger was healthy, because this team, you look at that offensive performance in Week One against the Patriots, and it's not they only put up three points, but worse than that, they barely got a first down in that game. And this offense just could not move the ball whatsoever. But we've seen that from Ben Roethlisberger in the past. Ben Roethlisberger has had slow starts to his season. In fact, you look back at the last two years, this team barely beat the, you know, would then go on to be 0-16 Browns on opening day two years ago. Last year, they they tied the still 0-16 at the time Browns. So they've had some slow starts. It was a bad matchup going on the road against New England to start the year. I thought Ben would improve as the year went on, but that's not going to be the case now. Now they need Mason Rudolph to step up, and that's not happening. They do, They still haven't found a number two receiver uh, alongside Juju defensively, you know, things are okay. They're getting turnovers, but they're still allowing too many yards and those yards lead to points. So there's not a whole lot to like in Pittsburgh right now. I, I thought this team would be, I thought this team might go from what was a nine, six and one team that lost a lot of close games last year to, you know, getting rid of the noise, get, getting the culture back to being about football and not the off the field stuff. I thought this team might go to somewhere like 11 and five. Now, boy, the seven and nine that you predicted, I think, would be a fantastic end to this season because it's looking closer to something like six and ten, five and eleven, uncharted territory for the Pittsburgh Steelers under Mike Tomlin. Right, exactly. I'm I'm definitely in shock over here. Um, can Mason Rudolph be the guy? Like, if we see a Daniel Jones type of ascension from him, similar to what happened with Daniel Jones and Eli Manning, what does that mean for Ben next year? Well, you know, I hate to I, I hate to just say no for a, for a young quarterback like this who's only played in six quarters. But let's just look at what we've seen from Daniel. Let, let's bring up Daniel Jones, right? Because there was a lot of people coming into this year who didn't think Daniel Jones was worthy of the first round pick that he was taken with, and he came out in, in the first week and he looked pretty good and he got that team a win, even though Saquon Barkley went out in that football game. Then you look at what Mason Rudolph did in his first start in the NFL. The Pittsburgh Steelers got five turnovers in that game. They got six points off of those five turnovers. Mason Rudolph was 14 of 27. Just two of those passes were completed more than one yard beyond the line of scrimmage. The last quarterback to only complete two passes more than one yard beyond the line of scrimmage, Tim Tebow. So Mason Rudolph is not starting well right now. Can he improve? Yes. Can he be the guy? Boy, that would take a lot. It would take a massive improvement from where we've seen him right now. I lean towards, no, he's not going to be the guy. He, he doesn't seem comfortable out there. He's, he's a first-read quarterback, which is what we saw him do at, in college. He doesn't see the field well. He's, you know, he's not going to go back there and manipulate a defense, or at least he hasn't shown that ability through his first two years, neither in training camp nor in these games. So, you know, he would, it would take a massive turnaround. Now, if he did turn it around, what happens to the Steelers? In 2020, what happens to Ben Roethlisberger? 
I think the Steelers are still going to want Ben Roethlisberger back in 2020, regardless. Unless Mason Rudolph turns into Patrick Mahomes overnight. And, and look, if he went from Tim Tebow to Patrick Mahomes, that'd be great. But we're living in a fantasy <laughs> world, right? Uh, that's not going to happen. So, you know, they're going to have Ben back in 2020. They're not going to – look, the, the Steelers are an organization that's all about stability. I don't think they're going to drive out their Hall of Fame quarterback, even if he is 38, even if he does count for $30 million against the cap. Um, and even if Mason Rudolph is all of a sudden the next Patrick Mahomes, I think they, they just, you know, Ben Roethlisberger has done too much for this organization for him to be driven out in that kind of way. So expect Ben Roethlisberger to be the starter again in 2020, if healthy. Perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're just now joining us, this is Tony Serino of the Lockdown Steelers podcast, giving us the knowledge uh, from behind enemy lines. Uh, so the next question I have for you, uh, when, when we spoke before about a month ago, I said that I felt like the losses of A.B. and Bell and Mike Munchak would hurt the Steelers' offense. Um, that seems to be true. It's still very early, but they currently rank 27th in total offense. What is the cause of this? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, the, clearly the loss of Antonio Brown cannot be minimized, right? And I tried to minimize it as best I could on that, on that podcast we did. Uh, <laughs> I was wrong. I was wrong. You know, I thought, and I thought because James Washington is such an interesting case. When I saw him at, at training camp last year, I thought this guy was in, immediately going to be another one of those Steeler wide receivers that they just seemingly grow out of nothing, right? Uh, sure. But he has not been that. You know, this is a guy who in practice will come down with combat catch after combat catch, get separation. He looks confident. And you get into the games, and he just completely disappears. Right? You put him on a milk carton out there because you just cannot find him. Um, <laughs> So it has been baffling to me that he hasn't been able to step up. And then you, you add to that the fact that, okay, he didn't have a lot of rapport with Ben Roethlisberger. So that was a big thing in his rookie year. Ben likes his veterans. He didn't work with, with Washington throughout the preseason. But now Mason Rudolph is his quarterback. Mason Rudolph and, and James Washington have all the rapport in the world. These guys played together in college. So that shouldn't right. be an issue at all either. And yet you look at Mason Rudolph's first start, I believe, James Washington had two or three catches for 14 yards. And then you look opposite of him, and it's Deontay Johnson, the rookie, who went out there, caught the touchdown, looked far more impressive on tape. So, you know, James Washington has been baffling to me. You know, the, the, loss, of, the loss of Antonio Brown cannot be minimized. Le'Veon Bell, I mean, the Steelers lost him a year ago, really. So I, I don't really consider that a loss for the 2019 season. That's more of a 2018 thing. But Munchak. Munchak hurt this team as well because this offensive line hasn't really been the same as where it's really uh, coming to pass is, is in the running game. James Conner can't get going because the offensive line isn't really opening uh, holes in the running game, and that's not happening because teams are saying, we're just going to load the box. James Conner's not beating us today. Mason Rudolph, you're beating us today. And as I spoke about before, Mason Rudolph has been Tim Tebow levels of bad so far. So <laughs> it is a vicious cycle in Pittsburgh of not being able to throw the ball and then teams loading the box, not being able to run the ball. And until that, and, and they don't have a number two receiver to go to. So teams are doubling Juju. Mason's not even looking his way because he's risk averse at this point. Doesn't want to throw into double coverage. Doesn't want to throw into tight windows. If this offense is going to get going, boy, it is, you know, it is going to take Mason Rudolph stepping his game up. I don't see any other way around that. The other thing I'll mention real quickly is Randy Feekner is not doing a great job of scheming guys open. He's leaving a lot of these receivers in one-on-one -on -one matchups and telling them you have to get open yourself. And as I talked about, you know, James Washington's not that guy right now. Juju's in a double team. And Deontay Johnson, while good, is still a rookie. And so, you know, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I know I sound very pessimistic, but I am. I, I really don't think this Steeler team is in a very good spot right now. Right. Nice. Nice to hear. Um, 
Uh, although the Steelers rank near the bottom of the league in defense, I think that that I think that they're better than the stats kind of indicate based off me watching the San Francisco game. Do you think that the identity of this team is morphing back into that kind of uh, defensive prowess that we've seen from them in the past? I think eventually it will get there. I am very excited about the future of this Steeler defense. I, I loved the Minka Fitzpatrick trade because I think he's exactly the kind of player that this defense has needed, especially in that secondary. You go back to the, to the retirement of Troy Polamalu. This defense hasn't had a real playmaker in the secondary. Joe Hayden is a nice player, but he's in the twilight of his career. And no one else they've been able to bring in uh, has been anywhere close to a playmaker. So Minka was exactly the kind of player this team needed. As far as where this defense is today, it, it's still, you know, I, I know the, the thing that, the thing that uh, makes this defense not a bad defense is the fact that they've gotten seven turnovers so far through three weeks. That's why I think people are not, are not looking at the Steelers defense saying, whoa, what's going on there? Have they regressed? Because everything else you look at with this defense, it kind of has regressed. You know, the San Francisco 49ers turned the ball over five times. Three of those times was in the red zone. I mean, the, the team had moved the ball into the red zone. So unless the Steelers are going to get insane fumble luck and turnover luck between now and the rest of the season, this defense, if they stop getting turnovers, is going to start giving up big points. And, you, and, and most of that is because the, the offense can't move the ball either. So Team, you know, the Steelers are averaging somewhere around like 76 snaps per game. Um, so, you know, offense is just getting more and more chances against it. They're not doing a great job of defending against the run. The thing no Steeler fan wants to talk about right now is the fact that Devin Bush just hasn't looked great so far. And this is not, you know, this is not saying Devin Bush is a, is a bust or anything like that, but he's not good in coverage. And that's where, the, that's where the Steelers needed him to be good in coverage. And he looks lost out there at times, especially on play action. Mark Barron, the veteran who the Steelers signed in the offseason, to go alongside him, to add that athleticism in the middle alongside Devin Bush. He also looks lost in play action, not good against the run. The Steelers are giving up, I think they gave up five yards a run over their last two games. So, um, yeah, I mean, as, as bad as things are offensively, defensively, they're better, but they're not good. <laughs> right, right. Okay, sounds sounds uh, interesting there. So you kind of touched on Devin Bush. You kind of gave me a picture and painted a picture of what your thoughts are with him. You kind of talked about the ability to create turnovers, but you're saying that the turnovers are nice, but they have to be able to stop someone. So Right, right. I, I guess my, my next question would be in terms of Mike Tomlin, obviously he's been there for a while. Do you think that his job is safe and if the Bengals, I mean, not the Bengals, I'm sorry, if the Steelers decide to go into a different direction next year, like say, for instance, they go 5-11 and 11, like you said it earlier, mm -hmm. which way do you see them going? Yeah, I mean, I think Mike Tomlin's job is probably safe, although you, you think about it this way, right? The Steelers are a team that normally doesn't make big moves in the offseason, right? They're a very steady organization. They don't trade up in the draft. They don't trade away first-round picks, and that's because their coaching staff and their, their front office have incredible job security. This team has never fired a coach going, going all the way back to, to Chuck Noll, right? We're talking about 50 years of history of this team without firing a coach. So these coaches have incredible job security. And yet you look at what they did this offseason. They traded up in the draft to get Devin Bush. They trade away a third-round pick from next year and a second-round pick this year to go get up and get Devin Bush. They paid big money, $8 million a year, to get Steven Nelson, the biggest contract the Steelers have ever given to a free agent. They went out and traded next year's first round. They mortgaged the future to bring in Minka Fitzpatrick. And then they just, they just traded away uh, a couple days ago a fifth-round pick to bring up Nick Vanett, 
who's just going to be a backup tight end for the Steelers, and he's in a he's in a contract year, so it's basically a, they're trading away a fifth round pick for a one year rental. Does that sound like a guy whose job is safe, or does that sound like a guy whose job is on the line? I don't think Mike Tomlin's job is on the line, but man, you know, there's been some really weird moves, some very un-Steelers moves this year that would make you think maybe his job is on the line. Now, the Steelers don't fire coaches. I don't think they will. I think if there's going to be a kind of cleaning of house at the end of this offseason, I think it'll be via the coordinators. And I think specifically, you'll have to look at the defensive side because Keith Butler's in the fifth year of his deal. Uh, He's in a contract year. And, you know, the five years of the last Steeler defense, just, you know, the Steelers expect this defense to be near the top or just a competitive defense. They haven't really been that. They've gotten close. It seemed like they were going to get there with Ryan Shazier. His injury, of course, set this defense back a little bit. Um, but you look at how much talent is on this defense right now, especially when you add Minka Fitzpatrick. just hasn't been good enough. Offensively, Randy Feigner, as I talked about, I don't think he's doing a great job of helping Mason Rudolph by scheming guys to get open. But he was brought in not for Minka, he was brought in not for, not for Mason. He was brought in for Ben Roethlisberger. He and Ben Roethlisberger are on the same page. And so, you know, if the Steelers are intent on bringing uh, Ben back in 2020 from the elbow injury, I would have a hard time thinking that they're going to want to change offensive coordinators. And really, you know, and that's another reason why I don't think they're going to fire Tomlin. It's because if you want Ben back in 2020, are you saying, hey, Ben, come back at 38, coming off an elbow injury, and oh, by the way, I'm changing your coach out. I'm changing your offensive coordinator out. You got a whole new thing you got to learn here at 38 years old. I don't think the Steelers are going to do that. And that's why I think Tomlin's job is safe. And it should be, right? E- even if the Steelers do go 5-11 and 11 or 6-10 and 10 or whatever it is, it would be Tomlin's first losing season of his career. And it would be because Ben Roethlisberger got hurt. Um, with, with Ben, this team has been 8-8 eight and eight or better every single year. Um, so, you know, we could talk about how, how disappointing Tomlin's been, but, you know, the, the grass is not always greener on the other side, right? So, you know, if you fire a guy because he, he didn't win a Super Bowl every year, well, that's a pretty silly way to, 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 uh, to start setting the precedent that all of a sudden the Steelers are a team that fires coaches. Right, I totally agree with that. I have I have the utmost respect for Mike Tomlin as a coach and what he's done in this league. So yeah. totally agree with you there. And I think it's funny because our fan bases uh, kind of get into it with each other, but there are a lot of similarities, I think, when you talk about the front office. Now, recently, uh, obviously that's changed for you guys, you know, trading up for a Devin Bush, paying a Steven Nelson. Uh, but we've both been franchises that uh, don't do much in free agency, don't make too many waves in terms of trades and things of that nature, don't fire coaches for a very long time, obviously with us with the Marvin Lewis tenure. Uh, but one thing that, that you said and you hit on, these are things that you guys are doing that are out of the norm, and I admire the aggressiveness of the Steelers trading for a guy like Mika Fitzpatrick. But what I didn't like about that is that it took a number one in 2020 to do it. And if the season continues on for you guys as it has, uh, and you guys, you know, obviously we know the numbers say for both of us, 0-3, your chances of the playoffs are pretty much gone. Does yeah. the future worry you? Like, being that you guys gave away potentially a top ten pick, let's just say hypothetically a top ten pick for Minka Fitzpatrick, does that worry you? Uh, I th- I'll tell you this. When I first read the trade, when I, I remember thinking to myself, there's absolutely no way the Steelers trade a first-round pick for Minka Fitzpatrick because this team doesn't have Ben. They're going to be terrible. They're going to they're gonna be like 3-13. They should, they should keep the first-round pick, take this player next year. I hated the trade when it first happened, but I've come around on it. I've come around on it for this reason. Let's just, let's just think about it in terms of probability. Right? Minka Fitzpatrick is a good player in the NFL. We know that. The Steelers knew that when they traded for him because they saw what he did in Miami on an NFL defense against NFL offenses. 
right? So he was very good in the slot. He was very good as a safety. I think Pro Football Focus had him rated as the best slot corner in football last year. So they knew what they were getting in Minka. It wasn't kind of the, the, the dice roll that is a draft pick. Now, if you look at, so if we look at the 2020 pick, and let's say it was a top five pick. So let's say that the Steelers had a 90% chance of hitting on a very good player there as well. Well, they got a 100% chance of a good player by getting Minka for, and traded away a 90% chance at a good player in 2020. So that's why I like the trade, just from a probability standpoint. They did, I mean, they got, the, they got a good player. They, Minka Fitzpatrick is extremely unlikely to be a bust at this point. I mean, he forced two turnovers against San Francisco. He's going to be a very good player, and like I talked about, he's going to be the playmaker that they want. Now, the other thing you could say, though, is, well, hold on a minute. Minka Fitzpatrick is a safety. This team needs a quarterback going forward, and the Steelers are never going to have a chance at a guy like Tua or Justin Herbert or some of these other quarterbacks that are going to be in this 2020 draft, and that's why the Steelers had to keep the pick. And that's more interesting, although, like I talked about, I think this team wants Ben back in 2020. And so if you, if you, if you have your top five pick and you do end up getting Tua, let's say, Okay, well, you, you have Tua, and now all of a sudden you're going to have a competition between he and Ben Roethlisberger for who's the quarterback in 2020. And, and, if it's, if it's, and if you're going to make Tua sit, then you're kind of wasting years of Tua's career, especially when you look at how valuable having a rookie quarterback is because of how little money they make. I mean, ben Roethlisberger is going to make $34 million, something like that next year. Tua is going to make like a couple million, right? So, so if you want the, the, uh, the value of having a quarterback who's good on a rookie deal is insane, is insane. So, and that's why the Rams have been able to build around golf so much, the Eagles with Wentz, right? Patrick Mahomes and, and the Chiefs. These guys are on insane rookie deals that are so cheap. You want to be able to do that and do that for as long as possible. And so if they want Ben back in 2020, they weren't going to take a quarterback. I think they were likely to go defense again. In fact, I think they were likely to go to the same position they got Minka. I think they were likely to go safety, someone like Grant Delpit from LSU. So, I love the trade. I st- even if it is a top five or top 10 pick, I just don't think the Steelers were going to go quarterback. And if they weren't going to go quarterback, they were going to go defense. And I think they got, like I said, you know, they had a 90% chance of hitting on a player in the top five. They got 100% of a good player in Minka Fitzpatrick. Great analysis there. I like that. So before we sign out, for those listening, this is Tony Serino of the Locked On Steelers podcast. Tony, what is your prediction for the game do you see the Steelers beating the Bengals and if they do and if you do uh how did the Steelers beat the Bengals this game I think it's going to come down to well yeah I'm of two minds on this you know my head says Mike Tomlin is not going to allow this team to be 0-4 you know not not in this way not on Monday night in a primetime game at home against a division rival who's also not a great football team right now I don't think the Steelers are very good I don't, you know, I know there's optimism in Pittsburgh about this team could go, you know, they could turn it around. They, you know, the last time they were 0-3, they went 8-8, eight eight, something like that, right? This team could still make the playoffs, all that. I mean, there's a lot of optimism in Pittsburgh. I'm not one of those guys. I think this team <laughs> is bad. Uh, but the Bengals, no offense, also bad. So you got a good matchup here. <laughs> uh, I think it's going to be a good, you know, I know everybody says like, oh, this is going to be a terrible game. They're going to have two 0-3 teams on Monday night. I think this game is going to be competitive. I do. I don't think, I, you know, I think the Steelers have to come out and first of all, uh, they have to be able to move the ball offensively. And that's going to start with, like I said, it's going to start with Mason Rudolph, uh, and it's going to start with him completing passes down the field. Now, one thing that uh, they figured out last week is, hey, you know, if we throw the ball to Juju, good things can happen. Uh, so they might want to start doing that more against the Bengals. I think that's where it starts. Get the ball to Juju. Get the ball to your playmakers. Advance McDonald is healthy in this game. I think he'll see uh, a, a share of the targets. Um, you know, just got, just got to be able to move the ball offensively. Put some points on the board defensively. Just keep doing what they're doing as far as getting turnovers. And Andy Dalton, 
you know, that's been his MO as well over the, over the past <laughs> couple of years. He can be a turnover machine at times. So, uh, yeah, get some turnovers, get some easy points on the board, get a lead early in this game, and, and let the crowd and let the momentum of this game take it to them. But, you know, that's what my, that's what my head says, right? But my gut, if I'm thinking about this football team right now, my gut says, boy, they might actually lose this game because the Steelers are a bad team right now. I mean, they are really bad. Um, the, the turnovers mask what is a bad defense, and on offense, they cannot move the ball whatsoever. I mean, this, they're completely stagnant on offense. And so I look at the Bengals team, and look, they're not great, but they, you know, they've got John Ross, who's, who's emerging now. Uh, they've, got, they've got Joe Mixon, who's a good runner, who's really been stifled. Uh, in the last couple weeks, but the Steelers' run defense has been bad. I could see the Bengals easily getting uh, some offense going in this game, getting an early lead, and then Mason continuing to have that deer in headlights look when he goes back to pass. A good Bengals pass rush, getting to him a little bit. And this thing, you know, not, not to say the Bengals are going to blow out the Steelers, but if it's a competitive game down the stretch, and I need Mason Rudolph to put up some points in the fourth quarter, you know, I, or this defense to hold a late lead, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think this could easily be a Bengals win. I'm going to predict a Steelers win, a close one. I'm going to say something like 24-21, um, but I, I could easily see it going the other way. I'm very worried about the Steelers team. They could easily be 0-4, and 0-4 would send this team probably to 0-6 when you look at the fact that they have the Ravens the next week and then the Chargers going into the bye week. Uh, Bengals fans, you know, I, actually, I want to ask you this, Ace, because this game kind of reminds me of last year's game between the Steelers and Bengals, the first one. That had a different feel because the Bengals were 4-1 and one at the time, right. and it felt like they were ascending and the Steelers were falling off. I think the Steelers right. were 2-2-1 two, two and one at the time, something like that. And right. so it felt like with the Bengals that, boy, this is a chance for them to really drive the stake to the Steelers, right? The Bengals are going to be 5-1. and one, The Steelers can be 2-3-1, and one, and, and you're sending that team into a tailspin. Now, that's not going to happen because the, the Bengals aren't going to be 5-1. and one. They're, you know, But the Steelers are 0-3. Does it feel like... For a, for a Bengals fan, that this is still an opportunity to really drive the stakes to the Steelers that 0-4 sends this team into a tailspin that they can't recover from? I think that that right now, the way that it's viewed in the fan base, especially with us starting off to an 0-3 start, one of the biggest Achilles heels for us, as you know, is that we haven't been able to beat the Steelers. Since 2015, we have not been able to beat you guys. So yeah. I think I think honestly – if they don't want to – if they want to avoid complete disaster with the fan base, this team has to win that game. And I think I think it's more of that versus us completely ending the Steelers season. Now, don't get me wrong. Of course, our fan base would be happy to give you guys uh, a little bit of some tragedy and, and things of that nature. But I think the most important thing is to show that this team mentally – can beat the Steelers. I think it's almost similar to you guys and the Patriots, right? Yeah, it's a yeah. mental hurdle that you have to get over. And if they can't get over that, it's really going to be bad for this for this team. It's really going to be bad for this front office. It's really going to be bad completely for anyone involved with the Cincinnati Bengals. It's just really going to be a train wreck. So I think that definitely plays into it, but I think that there's a bigger thing here that has to be proven, especially for Zach Taylor, especially for that front office in Cincinnati, because they got rid of Marvin Lewis, and all of these problems were supposed to go away. That's what they fed us. That's what we started to believe, and it's been more of the same, especially with us being at 0-3. You're seeing a lot of the same mistakes, and for us also, we also struggle in prime time. So with this being a prime time game and against the Steelers, this is really a, a benchmarking type of game 
for the Bengals to say whether or not we have officially entered into a new era. And like you said, it's drastically different from last year, but that was that was something that we were looking for last year as well. So, and then, you know, for the Bengals on offense, um, you know, I'm just so shocked that Joe Mixon is having the year he's had so far. Is that, is that because Mixon, I mean, I know Mixon's been kind of banged up a little bit, is he maybe not the player that a lot of people thought as far as, you know, people were, you know, he compared himself to Le'Veon Bell, and a lot of people thought he was going to be one of the next great running backs in this league. Or is I know that the Bengals' offensive line is still a work in progress. You know, 2.7 yards per carry so far, just shocking to me for, for Mixon. Yeah, it's definitely been due to two things. One, the no, number one reason I would probably say is the offensive play calls from Zach Taylor. Uh Looking at the Seattle game, they weren't able to run the ball effectively. So Zach Taylor quickly punted from that strategy and went to uh, immediately throwing the ball. And we've seen that within the past couple of games. Honestly, the only game that Joe Mixon has really gotten a chance was really this Buffalo Bills game. And even in the first half, he barely got touches in that game, right? So it's a combination of two things. It's a really bad offensive line in terms of, uh, run blocking and things of that nature, kind of like you said with the Steelers in terms of uh, James Conner. They're not opening any holes for him. And then it's also a combination of Zach Taylor getting away from the run and passing a lot, which has kind of puzzled our fan base because the Rams' offense is supposed to marry the run with the pass, and we've really only seen the pass really be uh, evident in this offense. And that's why Andy Dalton even though he's a marginal quarterback, is top three right now in in passing, and the Bengals' offense is passing so much because we aren't running the ball. So Joe Mixon is an amazing talent. I don't think it has anything to do with him. I think it's a combination of the willingness to move away from running the ball and trying to outsmart defenses and trying to pass the ball a lot more because that's what's being given to them. And I also think that it's just the offensive line is bad. When he has gotten carries, the lanes haven't been there, and when it stops working, they just immediately go away from it. But last week we saw they came out the first half and tried to do the same thing, and they had so many three and outs, and they put up zero points, but the game was so close with it being zero to 14 that they continued to at least try to run the ball, and then Joe Mixon was able to break out and have his best game of the season, which isn't saying much because it was only like 60 yards rushing, but it was his best half of the season. And so I think this week you will see, and I think that they learned that, hey, we've got to run the ball. Joe Mixon is our best player, and we have to use him. Very good. Well, listen, if if, if the Bengals wanted a chance to beat the Steelers, this is the year because this is as this is as vulnerable as the Steelers have been. And I can, you know, since I can remember, I mean, going back all the way to. Yeah, but you have to go back to like when uh, Mike Tomzak was starting for the Steelers and all that back in the 90s. (laughs) This this Steelers team is, you know, could legitimately be a bad team in the NFL. And so if the Bengals can't, I'm with you, if the Bengals can't beat them this year, ah, there's some there's some wrong in Cincinnati. Right. Well, Tony, thanks for joining us. Uh, This is why I brought this guy on. He's not just going to give you homer advice. He's going to give you a realistic perspective. And this guy knows his stuff. So, Tony, before you sign out, uh, let people know where they can find your stuff. Uh, This is is the same stuff I bring on Locked On Steelers. So they call me Tony the Hater over there. And, uh, yeah, you can find me over there, Locked On Steelers, with my co-host Chris Carter. Uh, We do do Locked On Steelers daily. Uh, We will be talking about this game on on Tuesday. And and what I'm hoping – it's going to be a big Steeler win, but like I said, I'm, I'm worried that this is going to be the first loss to the Bengals in a while. 
All right. Well, Tony, thanks for joining us. This has been the Orange is the New Black podcast, and thank you for listening.